this morning. Ali was great uh, testimony. Um, I'm glad the book impacted you like that. And uh, you know, that is, that is the bottom line uh, is it's trust. As you were saying, you're having difficulty trusting God. And that's exactly what money does. It tries to get you to trust it yeah. rather than God. Right. And that's the spirit of mammon that's behind it trying to get you to put your trust in it. And you, you, to break it is exactly what you did. It's exactly what you did. You gave your way out of that spirit of mammon, and you kept on giving, kept on giving. And sometimes it doesn't look like it's working. Like, you know, you give, and then it doesn't look like it's working. And God says, give again. And you go, <clears throat> I, I, mean, I remember clearly a lady came to me one time in our church in South Africa, and she, she put in a, a, a reasonable tithe, and she didn't tithe for another six months. And I happened to be talking to her. And uh, I said, so why haven't you tithed again? She said, well, I'm waiting for it to work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that is, that is the problem. So many people think that it is a get-rich-quick scheme or it's a, a, you know, just a magical thing. You give and then, boom, you get this massive return. You don't realize that it's actually a way of life, and that's what you've entered into. It's a way of life. You trust God. You don't trust God for salvation one day and then see if it works. It's, you do it all the time. You trust Him all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And uh, the more that, you, that, that He gets you to trust Him, the larger the amounts become. And that's where the real flow starts to happen the larger the amounts become. And so the larger amounts become back to you. The temptation is always not to give from your return. But basically you're going to eat your harvest and you'll eat the seed that you're supposed to sow for the next harvest. And, and it's a continuous trust. It never goes away. It never stops. never stops. The, the, the pressure not to tithe never stops. And the larger the amounts become, the greater the pressure. And most people, most people stop at the sale of their house. That's where they stop. The profit they make from their home, they don't tithe on. They don't recognize it as God providing for them. They make an excuse for not doing it. And I'm just saying that I, I'm just saying... If you want to know where your level is, you will find out soon enough. At that point where you cannot tithe from what you've received, you know that that is the maximum God can trust you with. He cannot trust you with more than you're willing to give from. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about that. It's just a great testimony. Are we ready? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, as we go to your word today, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'll give us divine wisdom, a divine flow. Um, anoint me, Lord, to speak with wisdom and to speak accurately your word. Give us insight and revelation, Holy Spirit. 
that we might uh, better know you, Father, and Jesus, and your plan of salvation. Give us understanding of the word, that we might walk in the power of the word of God and fulfill your plans and purposes in our life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. So, <clears throat> we are talking about Jesus fulfilling the feasts. These are the feasts of Israel. There were seven feasts of Israel. Uh, and in studying the feasts, we discovered that they foreshadow the, re- the, the first coming of Jesus when he died on the cross. And also they foreshadow the rapture and when the resurrection of the dead is going to take place. And then thirdly, his second coming. They're all pictured in these seven feasts. We also found out that they happen in chronological order. Starting in the beginning of the year, called the spring feasts, there were four of them. And then there's three feasts that happened at the end of summer, the fall feasts. And they all happen exactly in order. Now, the first four feasts <clears throat> have already been fulfilled. And we'll look at them a little later on. The next feast to be filled prophetically on God's calendar in chronological order is the Feast of Trumpets. That is the next feast to be fulfilled. And that is when the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the rapture of the bride occurs. This is when Jesus comes back and the rapture occurs. The Bible clearly tells us this is going to happen. So today what I'm going to do, uh, for those who haven't been, uh, been here and haven't uh, followed me, I don't want to leave you in the dark. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back real quick and I'm going to just recap the first five feasts that we've covered. Is that okay with you? All right, so we'll go back and we'll have a look at them in their order, and then we'll conclude with the last two feasts, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. So we should finish the series today. There's an er interesting uh, thing I want to look at today. It's called Face to Face with God, and we'll see it in our teaching. Then there's another thing that I came across. um, It's why the trumpet was originally created, what God's purpose for the sound of the trumpet was. And that's going to be so interesting, okay? We'll have a look at that today. And then I I want to answer this question. Um, Why is Bible prophecy always fulfilled? Why is it always fulfilled? And uh, there's a good reason for it. So that's the way I'm going to start with, why is Bible prophecy always fulfilled? That's where we're going to start. And here's the short answer. Because God doesn't start something till He's finished it. I'm going to let that hang out there for a bit. I'll say it again because you you didn't think I was speaking proper English. God doesn't start something until He's finished it. So He actually finishes it, then He starts it. Here's the scripture. Isaiah 46 verse 9. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things that are not yet done. It hasn't finished, but God's heart, God's mind, it's done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Now, Jesus, being God, told his disciples that everything that was prophesied about him, everything that had been written in the book of Moses, Psalms, and the prophets, Everything had to be fulfilled. 
Because based on this, what God said is going to happen, is going to happen. He said to them in Luke 24, 44, I told you this, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So the feasts are shadows of things to come, but the actual fulfillment is in Christ. So when, we, when they were told to celebrate these feasts or holidays, it was actually God drawing a picture and telling them this is what's actually going to happen in the future. And they all represented the Messiah, all fulfilled in the Messiah. <clears throat> in Colossians 2 and 16, it says, Paul said, Don't let anyone judge you concerning food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are shadow things to come, but the substance is in Christ. Now, when we Gentiles read that, what we think is, don't let anybody judge you if you eat in and out at burger. <laughs> don't let anybody judge you if you eat deep fried food, Chinese. And then don't let anybody drink you if you eat or drink maybe some alcohol, glass of wine, or caffeine. Don't let anybody judge you. That's the way we read it. And then it said regarding a festival, we don't know what you're talking about, or a new moon. Why would anybody want to judge me about a new moon? I don't know. I don't know. Why is that in the New Testament? Or a Sabbath. Well, that doesn't even apply to me. Okay, so this verse obviously doesn't work. Let's throw that one out. By the end of the day, we keep tearing out verses and chapters and pages. We'll have just two covers left. So we have to understand this. The problem is we can't understand it until we go back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament helps us to understand it. So the food and drink was under the law of Moses. He was saying, don't, he's talking to Jews, don't let them judge you concerning food and drink. I mean, there are very, very strict rules about what they could uh, uh, drink or what they could eat. And then it comes to festival. Well, the festivals are the feasts. That's what they are. Don't let anybody judge you about the feasts. And you know, the new moon is when they count the day of their month. It always starts with the new moon. But there is a feast that starts on the new moon. Anybody know where that feast is? All right, well, just stay with me. We'll get it by the end of the day. So the, the new moon refers to the beginning of the, of, of the month, and that's how they, they determine their calendar from the new moon. So he said, don't let anybody judge you about that, or by Sabbath. So if they were not keeping the Sabbath, don't let anybody judge you. Right, So he said, because these things are actually a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So they are only shadows. But once the substance comes, once Christ comes, you no longer need the shadow because we have the real thing. You have the real thing now. All right. So um, if you were standing around the corner, sun was from the other side of the corner, um, and, you, and you saw a shadow, if it was a dog, you'd know if it was your dog, wouldn't you? You'd know, all right? Um, um, if it was your wife, you'd recognize the shadow as well, or your husband, okay? But what you don't want to do is fall in love with a shadow and ignore your wife. And this is what happened to the Jewish people. They fell in love with a shadow when the real came, even though it was obvious this was the real 
They didn't love the real. They were happier with the shadow. You follow? Okay, so that's what happened. So you know, you know Jewish people, the Jewish calendar, they don't give names to the dates. They have the first day, second day, 15th day, 10th day. Only the Sabbath is given a name. Unlike us, Sunday is the day of the sun, Monday, day of the moon, Tuesday, and so on and so forth. These are all names that we give to our days, but they don't do that. So when you read, and you'll say on the first day or the second day, the 15th day, and so on, so uh, it's, it's from the new moon. That's the day from the new moon. So let's have a look now at the first of the feasts, which was Passover. Passover, uh, <clears throat> what happened is that the, the, um, the 10th day of the first month, the first month was Nisan, that's their month, and, and that's, that would be our March or April. On that first month, Nisan, three feasts happened, Passover, the unleavened bread, and the first fruits. They all happened that very first month. Okay. Now, what they were told to do is that they were to take a one-year-old lamb on the 10th day of the first month, Nisan. 10th day, they take a lamb. They take it into their house for four days. And during that time, they examine the lamb to see if it's without blemish. But how many of you know that if you brought the little lamb into your house for four days, at the end of four days, you'd be in love with the little lamb? And your kids would be sleeping with it in the bed? You fall in love with it. Now hold on now. Sad thing coming. Very sad. Now God says kill it. And not only kill it, take its blood and wipe it on the doorposts of your house. Four days, Jesus' ministry on earth was 3.5 years. And during those 3.5 years, they were looking for blemishes. They were trying to find fault with him. At the end of that three and a half years, they loved him. And then they killed him. See, on the 14th day, of this month, you got the lamb on the 10th day, and the 14th day, you kill the lamb. The 14th day is the day of Passover. It's the exact day Jesus was crucified, the 14th day of Nisan. Now, the sprinkling of the blood on the door, God said this in Exodus, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So in other words, he didn't say, when I see the Jews, I'll pass over you. He said, when I see the blood. Which meant that the Egyptians could have taken the blood and painted on their door, and the angel of death would have passed over them. They would have been alive. This means that anybody today can take the blood of the Lamb and paint it on their heart's door, and they won't be judged. The Passover is still working for us today. See, John said this, John the Baptist said this in John 1, 29. When he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. What is so amazing that Jesus was crucified on the very day and the very hour of the Passover sacrifice. It doesn't get more accurate than that. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ our Passover Lamb. So it's identified as Christ is our Passover Lamb. I think by now you can see the connection between the Passover feast and Jesus Christ. And look what he says. Our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. When Paul wrote this, he said the Passover Lamb has already been sacrificed. Behold, therefore, therefore, because he has been sacrificed, let us keep the festival not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Bread without yeast is called unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. And that leaven represented sin. But he says, because the Passover lamb, because the Passover lamb has now been sacrificed, let's move on to the next one and celebrate unleavened bread. Let's partake of unleavened bread. Now I've got a picture for you quickly to show you of what unleavened bread looked like back in those days. There it is. Thank you so much, Tyler. Appreciate it. Do you notice that this unleavened bread has got stripes on it and strips and it has been punctured with holes? You see, by his stripes we are healed. And the Bible says they will look on him whom they have pierced. And when they celebrated this next feast, on the very next day after the Passover, the very next day, this is what they would do. They would take three pieces of matzah, unleavened bread. They would lay them down on the table. They would take the centerpiece. They would break it, wrap it in cloth, hide it in the house. And the kids would go look for it the next day. They thought it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They thought they were breaking Isaac. But really, it was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were breaking Jesus. You see, Jesus was taken off the cross after he was broken, and he was wrapped in a cloth, and he was buried in a tomb, Arimathea's tomb, Joseph Arimathea's tomb, which was borrowed. He was wrapped in that tomb. He was wrapped in the cloth and put in that tomb. His body was broken, just like the matzah was broken. And he was buried on the very day of unleavened bread, the very next day after the Passover, he was buried. That was the day they celebrated the unleavened bread. All right? See, he couldn't stay on the cross for the Sabbath. The Sabbath began at 6 o'clock on the evening. In other words, he was buried on the Sabbath. The seventh day, God made everything in six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. That was the day Jesus was buried, on the seventh day, called the Sabbath. And God rested because the plan of redemption was done. To restore man back to himself had taken place on that day. This next feast occurs the very next day. It's called the Feast of First Fruits. Back in Leviticus, Moses was told in Leviticus 23.10, when you enter the land I'm going to give to you, reap, you reap it, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the very first grain that you harvest. 
and he is to wave it before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. The day after the Sabbath. So Jesus is crucified on Passover. He's buried on the Sabbath. And the day after the Sabbath is when you wave this offering. Why was, it, why was this an important thing? He said, when you come into the land that I'm giving you, when you come to the promised land, take from your very first harvest and then take the first portion of that harvest, bring it to the priest and let him wave it before me on Sunday. Very first day after the Sabbath. You see, the grain that was taken, that harvest represented the salvation that was to come through Jesus. Jesus was the first fruits being raised from the dead. He was the very first fruits. And the priest was to wave this grain offering, the sheaf, in front of, the, uh, in front of God to be accepted. And guess what? Jesus was accepted. Amen. He was accepted. So, in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, it said, But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Now watch this. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. The first fruits represent the resurrection from the dead. He was the first to be resurrected from the dead. And then the scripture says, when he comes, those who belong to him. What it's saying is, he was resurrected at the first fruits, but when he returns at the time of the rapture, those who belong to him will be resurrected. But he'd be the first of the first fruits. Got it? All right. This is all Old Testament. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So Jesus' resurrection fulfilled the feast of first fruits. The next feast on their calendar was the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, or we know it as Pentecost. Leviticus 23 verse 15 says, From the day after the Sabbath, what day would that be? Would be Sunday, and would also be their first day of the week. The first day. It says, The day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, I want you to count seven full weeks, count off 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So from the day, the day the first fruits were waved, from the day the first fruits were waved, that was Sunday, they waved this before the Lord, they were to count 50 days. So from that Sunday they were to count 50 days, and they were to bring another offering. This time it was a grain, a new grain offering. So this feast, also known as Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks, is also known as the Feast of Harvest. It is when you present the offering of new grain to the Lord. That 50th day, when they brought the new grain, after counting 50 days, they brought it before God, they were standing with the new grain, and the Holy Spirit hit them. Holy Spirit came on that exact day. Not 49 days, not 51 days, not 48 days, 
exactly on the 50 days. He says, count 50 days. And they were told to do this thousands of years before the Holy Spirit came. Thousands of years they had to do this. This is the fourth feast in succession that has been completed and fulfilled exactly by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think the chances are of the fifth feast not happening? Or not being fulfilled on the day? Or the hour? Maybe he's going to miss it by a thousand years. Oh, no, that's not going to happen. No, he's, he's going to hit the number. All right? God, God prophesied. He fulfilled it before he started. Then he started. He knew it was going to come. And it's happened exactly as he said it was going to come. And on this day, day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were born again immediately. They were saved and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And it was the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was fulfilled. The new harvest, the grain harvest began. You see, the, great, the greatest harvest in the world began on the day of Pentecost. So, we thank you, Lord. We believe that the rest of the feasts are going to be fulfilled, just as you said they would be. All right, so now we come to the next feast, the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Feast of Trumpets, it says, <clears throat> this is the first day of the new year. It's the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, Treshri. And on the first day of Treshri, the seventh month, which was our September, October, this is when the Feast of Trumpets happens every single year and has for thousands of years. You may know it as Rosh Hashanah. You've heard the term Rosh Hashanah. You've heard it go, well, what is that? It is the Jewish New Year. That's what it is. And it begins on the first day of the seventh month at the new moon. That's when it begins. Now, it has seven Hebrew idioms. These are names also given to Rosh Hashanah and used by the Jewish people. We've discussed them in detail, so I'm not going to go through them in detail. I'm just going to give you the headline. The first one is the Feast of Trumpets, which we've mentioned. The, one, the second one is the wedding of the Messiah. We know this is going to happen in heaven while the tribulation is occurring on the earth. The hidden day, Jesus said that he was going to come as a thief in the night. The hidden day. Then it's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, which is the seven-year period of the tribulation. Starts after the rapture, after the trumpet sound. The day of the awakening blast is another one of the idioms. And we know that's a trumpet sound that goes off. It's a awakening blast. The dead rise from it. Number six, it's called the day of judgment. The day of judgment. And it's a seven-year period where God judges the world, the people on the earth, because they have rejected Jesus. The Jews are included. Everybody on the earth, they're being judged by the great tribulation period. Antichrist is, is doing his thing. It's a, the most horrific time in the world ever. Jesus said was the worst time ever since the history of the world. There'll never be a worse time than that. And Jesus said if those days were not shortened, not one single person would be left alive at the end of the period. In fact, if you do the calculation based on the seals and the trumpets and the vials, only one third of the human race survives. Just to let you know. And then finally, number seven, the coronation of the Messiah, him becoming king. All of those are wrapped up into this one, the Feast of Trumpets, known as Rosh Hashanah. All right. Now, let me tell you about the original sound of the trumpet. 
Let's go back to the book of Numbers. In the very beginning, chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Take two trumpets, use silver and hammer it to make the trumpets. These trumpets will be for calling the people together and for telling them when it is time to move camp. The Feast of Trumpets, they blow 100 trumpets, 100 times. And the last trumpet is a long, loud blast. And it's at that exact trumpet sound that Paul says by the Holy Spirit, the rapture will take place. Moses was told by God, I want you to make trumpets. And when you blow the trumpet, we're breaking camp. We're out of here. We're moving. It's called moving day. So forget moving to Texas or Idaho or we're out of here. Amen? We're all moving to Idaho. Idaho out of here. That's where we're going. And amazing. God tells him to do that. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 15, 51. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in the flesh, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. All right, so that brings us up to speed, where we are today. Right, let's move to the next, number six, the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. And I'm sure you've heard that term. In Leviticus 23, in verse 23 of Leviticus lists all the feasts, if you want to go and have a read for yourself. Verse 27, it says, on the 10th day of the seventh month. So we're still in the month of Tishri. The first, uh, the first uh, day was the sound of the trumpet. Okay, so that was the one I asked you, which happens on the new moon. Okay, uh, nobody shouted out, oh, got it. All right, so I'll tell you. <laughs> so uh, the new moon, first day of Tishri, Feast of Trumpets. That's it. All right, so now uh, he says, on the 10th day, this is 10 days later of the seventh month, shall be the day of atonement. And you shall afflict your souls to make atonement for you before the Lord. Afflict your souls. How? How are you to afflict your souls? Well, you must mourn for your sin. Now what the Jewish people have done is they've turned that into fasting. Turned it into fasting. And I believe that's been an overflow into the Catholic Church as well. That they do a lot of fasting and Lent and so on and so forth. Now, let me tell you how it all happened. So Moses had been up on Mount Sinai, and he'd been in the presence of the Lord 40 days. And while he was up there, he got the law, and he also got the Ten Commandments. And uh, while he's up there with the Lord, God says to him, you need to get down the mountain, because Aaron has made a golden calf. And they're worshiping this golden calf as the God who brought them out of Egypt. He hadn't been gone long, eh? Hadn't been gone long, not even f- like 40 days. And, and, uh, and they've already flipped. They're already worshiping God. And after the 10 plagues and everything else and going through the Red Sea and everything else that's happened, they make a calf and they begin to worship the calf. I'm not surprised that God didn't just, <laughs> and that would be that. Enough of you. All right. So in Exodus 32 and verse 30, the next day Moses said, he comes down the mountain, the next day Moses says to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up 
to the Lord. I'm going to go back up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. I'm going to intercede. Maybe I can get God to, you know, to atone. So Moses went back up to the Lord and he said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. And they have made themselves gods of gold. Now he's telling God what God told him. All right then. That's, most, that's what, how we do things. We, we tell God like he doesn't know. But now, please forgive their sin. Dash. Quiet. Nobody talking. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. That dash between, you see that there, between forgive their sin and but if not, is the only place that that appears in the Bible, in the original. And it is the longest pause between any two parts of a sentence. So what happened is when Moses asked God to forgive them, God doesn't answer. Have you ever been to God and you pray and He doesn't answer? And you wait and you wait and He doesn't answer? And then you say, all right, just kill me. Okay, well, that's what Moses said. So you're, you're, you know, you're in good books. If you're not going to answer me, just kill me. Uh, but actually, w- what it is, it was Moses' willingness to be stricken out of God's book of life foreshadows Jesus' willingness to be stricken. But God took Jesus up on it. See, Yom Kippur, the word Kippur, is from the Hebrew word kafah, and it means to cover. So Yom Kippur, they used to sacrifice goats and animals and sheep and bulls and everything else. Most solemn day in their, in their calendar, most solemn day in the Jewish calendar. But it only covered their sin. It didn't deal with their sin, just covered their sin. You see, Moses, with the law and the sacrifices, only covered the sin of Israel. But it took the blood of Jesus to wipe out the sin. He had to die. He had to die to wipe it out. In Hebrews 9 verse 11, talking about Jesus, he entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption. Now, Moses goes back up the mountain for 40 days. Now, I want you to understand something. There are two supernatural fasts that take place. Don't try it at home. Moses goes up for 40 days without food or water, comes down for a brief moment, and goes back up for another 40 days. That's 80 days of fasting without water. He probably got a little refreshment when he was down the bottom, um, but he went back up for 40 days. Now, during this time, while he's up the second 40 days, the Jewish nation are wondering whether God's going to forgive them. They don't know. They've seen what happened to the Egyptians, and so they don't know whether God's going to forgive them or not. So they're really, really concerned. And then Moses comes down out of the mountain. When he comes down, his face is shining so bright they can't look at him. After 80 days in the presence of God, I'm not surprised. 
He comes back and eventually they say, put a veil on your face. We can't even look at you. When he came down, they knew they had received atonement. And tradition says that was the very day of the Feast of Atonement that he came down. Now, when Jesus returns the second time physically to the earth, he's going to be shining just like that, but a hundred times brighter, a hundred times brighter. So bright that the sun, the moon, the stars will not be shining on the day Jesus comes back. He will be so bright that he will be like lightning and the whole world will see because the, drop, the, the backdrop is dark and black as Jesus appears in his shining glory. Moses was just a fragment of what it was going to look like when Jesus comes on the day of atonement. Thank you for those three hand claps. Appreciate it. <laughs> the day of atonement fulfills the second coming of Jesus. Uh, when, when is fulfilled with the second coming of Jesus. He comes to the earth to establish his, uh, uh, his kingdom here on earth. Zechariah verse 12, chapter 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. On the Jewish people, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him, as one grieves for a firstborn. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great, and the land will mourn. You see, the remnant of the Jews that have lived and survived through the great tribulation will see Jesus. And recognize him as the Messiah. They will look upon the one that they've pierced. And they will mourn. They will regret what they did. That they rejected him. They will repent. And God in his mercy. Because it is prophesied. That Israel will be saved in one day. That on that day. When they repent. They will be saved. The remnant of, of the Jewish people will be saved on that day. But the world is going to mourn. Remember mourn, the day of atonement, day of mourning. You're supposed to mourn. In Matthew 24, 30, Jesus said, At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Revelation 1, 7. Look, He's coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. Matzah, those who pierced Him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. There's going to be a great day of mourning, and that's going to be on the day of atonement. Now, I want to talk to you about another thing that used to happen um, on the day of atonement. It's very, very important. It was the high priest going beyond the veil. Very important. Yom Kippur is about removing the veil uh, from God for all humanity. See, humanity does not get to see God. Only the high priest got to see the presence of God by going beyond the veil at the Ark of the Covenant. So <clears throat> this feast we're talking about now, the feast number six, the second coming of, of Jesus. At that coming, listen carefully, all the humans, the whole human race will actually see God face to face on that day. Exodus twenty four fifteen, And Moses went up to the mountain 
The cloud covered it. This is when he goes up the second time. And the glory of the Lord settled on the mounts on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day the Lord called Moses from within the cloud. It says to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up into the mountain, and he stayed there for forty days and forty nights. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. What? Are you kidding me? I'm up here, we're fasting, we're praying, like we're trying to get atonement for the people. You want to kill them, you want to kill them, and you ask for an offering? Seriously? Tell them to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering, listen, for me, now watch very, very carefully, from each man whose heart prompts him to give. It wasn't a legalistic thing. You give because your heart prompts you to give. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell with them. This was the first offering to be made for a church building. God said, I'm going to come and live with you. I want you to create me a building. I want you to create me a tabernacle. It's a sanctuary, something we can pick up and move, because obviously they're going to spend 40 years moving around. God knew they were going to spend 40 years. They didn't. So I want you to take an offering for the building. So... Don't get upset when we receive offerings for the building. God is the one who started it. We're just following God, okay? Only, only give if your heart prompts you. Now watch what happens. This tabernacle they were to build was where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, was going to be put inside. The response of the people was so overwhelming that Moses had to stop them from giving. That's how overwhelming it was. And why was it that overwhelming? Because they knew they'd been forgiven. I'll let that slide. Exodus 36.6 Moses instructed them to take his message throughout the camp saying, Let no man or woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing any more. Now the materials were more than enough for them to do all the work. The last thing I want to look at before we move on to the final feast was that this was also called the Day of Vengeance. So this feast was also called the Day of Vengeance. Yom Kippur is known as the day that God will take vengeance on God's enemies. God said He will avenge the blood of His servants. Found in Revelation 19, 14. And the armies uh, in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him on the white horses. Now out of the mouth, out of his mouth, this is Jesus' mouth, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Okay, so that's all that happens on the Feast of Tabernacle, uh, Feast of Atonement. Powerful, powerful feast. The last feast we're going to look at is the Feast of Tabernacles, found in Leviticus 23, 34. Say to Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. So, in this month, Tishri, on the first day of the month, we have the Feast of Trumpets. That's the rapture. On the 10th day, we have the Feast of Atonement. That is the second coming of Jesus when He comes to the earth. And then on the 15th day, we have the Feast of Tabernacles when God comes to stay on the earth. 
In verse 39 of Leviticus 23, it says, So beginning the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, say, after you've gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the feast to the Lord for seven days. The first day is the day of rest, and the eighth day is also the day of rest. Now, on the first day, you are to take choice fruit, not just any fruit, choice fruit from the trees, palm fronts, leafy branches, and populace. And you're to rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You're to celebrate. This is a celebration of great joy. It is known as the Feast of Ingathering. Because it is observed after the crops are harvested and gathered. This feast begins the millennium reign of 1,000 years on the earth when Jesus is here with us tabernacling with man as God did with Moses and the Ark of the Covenant. This time that was a shadow and a type of Jesus actually physically being here on earth with us. In Revelation 21 and verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. That's it. God with us. All wrapped up in the seven feasts. If you read the feasts, understand it, you know where we are, and you know what's coming, and you know exactly what's going to happen, because it's going to happen exactly as God said it would. The first four has happened exactly as God said. The next three are going to happen exactly as God said it would. I would suggest you get ready for the trumpet sound. Look up, watch and pray. Be excited about Him coming. Serve God with all your heart. Do everything you possibly can to tell other people Jesus is coming back. Be passionate in your walk with God. You won't be here for the atonement, but you will be back for the tabernacle. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Can we give the Lord a good praise offering? Thank you, Lord. Now, next Sunday... I'm going to begin a mini-series, very special mini-series. And the reason, this has never happened to me before, but on Monday night, the 28th of February, in the middle of the night, while I was asleep, the Holy Spirit began to talk to me while I was sleeping. It's amazing how He chooses. You know, I'm awake for so many hours. I'm just kidding, but what was so amazing is that I spoke back to him in the sleep, and he gave me a sermon. He was started to preach to me, and he gave me a sermon out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it. He just began to talk to me about how to live in victory, and he told me what the major thing is and why believers are not walking in victory and and, and how they could walk in victory, and came down to one word. And I will tell you next Sunday. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to lead and to guide us. Lord, I pray that every single person on the sound of my voice has received Jesus, 
received the baptism that you give with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in water, are following you with all of their heart. None of us are looking back like Lot's wife to Sodom where she came from. And you judged her for looking back. Lord, that we're all looking forward to your coming and to serving you with all of our hearts. And if there's any hindrance, if there's anything that's trapping us, anything, Lord, that is not pleasing to you, pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll help us to shed that, to put off the old man, to put on the new man, to live according to your word, to walk in integrity with your word, sanctified life, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, until Jesus comes, let us be the light of this world, the salt of the earth. And let those who come in contact with us know in whom we have believed. Give us the courage to speak what needs to be spoken and to stand true in the times and trials that we are facing and will be facing in the future. We look forward to your return, Lord. We're unashamed. We love you with all of our heart. Thank you for blessing your people. And throughout this week, let us walk in victory. Help us to understand what's needed in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand to your feet. I'm going to have my prayer team come forward, the ministry team come forward. I want to invite you this morning. If you have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, based on the teaching I gave today on the feasts, I'm sure you'd like to receive Him. And so please, if you come on down, just say to the person you're speaking to, you know, I'd like to receive Jesus. Um, I want to recommit my life to Him or something like that. If also you'd like to receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to baptize you with His Spirit. It's a gift to you. No need for you to go through this life without the power of God and the presence of God in your life. So just ask. And if it's prayer that you need for anything else, whatever it is, if it's healing your body, if it's financial prayer uh, that you need help with, or marital issues that you have need of, we're here to help. We're here to pray for you. So please come on down. Before we dismiss you, let's have you come on down, and then we're going to dismiss you. So if you'd like prayer for anything, come on down right now, because when I dismiss the crowd, they go wild. Yes, it's a... It's a crazy time in this church. And just, they throw chairs and hats and stuff. It's all about the sermon. They're just so excited that it's over. Okay. All right. Well, God bless you. If you're coming down for prayer, we love you and have a good week. Amen. We'll see some of you tomorrow night at Bible College. And then next week for that, teach you on the victory. Amen. Next Sunday. I'm not going to give you the word. Mom's the word. <laughs>